Very good. We'll be done. We'll be done by nine o'clock tonight. You can spend some time looking at our resource table again. I appreciate you coming back there. It's the only way that we fulfill what our mission is in the world, and um, I just appreciate you being a part of it. A uh, couple things about it: um, we got some new stuff. With one on the Beatitudes will come out throughout the whole week. It is really, really. It'll sell out by Sunday. So if you want it, I'd go ahead and get it. Um, and also the Jewish roots of Easter as well. Those two will sell out pretty good. Let me tell you real quick about something we've done that I'm very excited about. Um, I and my brother, we have started a, um, my brother developed it, and then I'm just showing up in there. He developed an online classroom where I can go in there, and um, my, my goal is, is to teach people the same things my rabbi taught me. And so once a month, it's only, it's only once a month for one hour, um, I'm in there to, uh, to sort of teach people to enhance their Bible study. It's not meant to replace a Bible college you're doing. It's not meant to replace anything. And I definitely don't want to be your pastor. What I'm offering, <laughs> what I'm, what I'm offering is, is I'm, I know I don't, you, you got a good pastor. Um, but, but yeah, amen. But what I'm, what I'm offering to do is, is to teach you guys or whoever wants to be in there, the very things that my rabbi taught me all the way from the beginning. And so, um, and so if you, we've already done it. We've done two sessions. Anything you've missed is archived. All you got to do is click on it. You can listen to it and, and catch right up. No problem at all. And so I'd love, if that's something you'd want to do, I'd love to have you in there. You can check our website out. Um, it's just right on the front page of our website, shanewillard.org. And um, you, can check, you can check that out. And our next class will be somewhere around the second week of May. What I do is I do several classes every month that are time zone specific. So we have a, Southeast, like a, a South Pacific time zone one. We'll have an American time zone one and a South African time zone one. And so of the three or four, um, you'll find something that fits your schedule. If you can't find something that fits your schedule, change your schedule. I'm just kidding. If you can't find something... If you can't find something that fits your schedule, then um, it'll all be archived. All you got to do is click on it at your convenience anyway. Okay? So you could check that out. All right. Now, what I want to do now is, is I want to talk to you about euphemisms, idioms, things like this that'll make the Bible come alive. We won't get through most of them tonight. We'll have to come back tomorrow but, um, because there's just too many to do. And, and so um, the first one I want to talk to you about is the idea of kingdom. Kingdom. In the Bible... When you see things like kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, let me just give you a couple of phrases that mean the exact same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, or they sometimes use this phrase, inherit the land, inherit the land, or inherit the earth. The kingdom of God had nothing to do with going to heaven one day. Nothing. The, the phrase, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, inherit the earth, things like this, these are all synonymous of what life would be like if God was in charge now. It was, all, it was never, Jewish Christianity, rabbinical Christianity, was nothing about going to heaven one day. It was all about what can we do to bring heaven to earth it wasn't about a journey into something. It was about bringing that something to us and to everybody we encounter. It, it was about, it was a summary statement of the things God is for coming over the top of the things God, that are absent of what God is doing. Um, it was a summary statement of what would life be like? See, it was, it was all about bringing something to earth. 
It was all about the, the birth of the church, which we'll talk about later. The, not tonight, at a later time. The birth of the church was all about, it, it was all about creating a community of people who are a radical new culture that's going to show the whole world what God would look like if he were living it out. It's not so much a group of people who are on their way to heaven. That, that's ridiculous. As much as it was a group of people who were bringing heaven to a community. You with me? It's two totally different things. Even their concept of hell was mostly, if you want a whole teaching on the Jewish concept of hell, which is nothing like what we think. It's back there. It's called All Access Pass. But, it, but, you, but you, their concept of hell was mostly hell on earth. Like, let, me, let me give you what I mean. There was two words for hell um, that Jesus used. The, the first word was this, Gehenna. The, the second word, I think it doesn't have an H on it. Sorry, I'm a bad speller. Um, the second word was this. And, and to teach hell properly, you have to teach both. Jesus used the word hell 18 times. 15 was this one. Three was this one. Of the three, two were figures of speech. Only one time, once, did Jesus use this word in terms of a person and a place of fire. Only once. Now, Gehenna, Gehenna was an actual place in Jerusalem. It found its origins. Here's what happened. Here's the history of Gehenna in a nutshell. There was, there was some bad kings, and they started sacrificing children in fire. You can read about this in the book of Jeremiah. It says there was a place called Gehenna, and it was called the place of Topheth. Topheth means the place of burning. And what they would do, essentially, is they would burn the children in fire to the god Molech. Okay? Don't quote me on this, but <clears throat> I think it was the firstborn 10-year-olds. So, so the picture of Gehenna is you have a bunch of reluctant firstborn 10-year-olds being drugged to Gehenna to be thrown into the fires in order to appease Molech. Along came a king named Josiah. Josiah decided we're not going to burn children in fire anymore. The reason is, is because he was eight. Okay? So it wasn't going to bode well for him, right? Plus, he has a bunch of second grade classmates going, come on, man, throw me a bone here. You're the king, right? So he changes this, which leaves the king in a bad place. What he did is he had the sages search the annals, and they found Leviticus. And in Leviticus, it says, you shouldn't throw your children in fire. So he says, this is who we're going to go with. We're going with this God. Now, the problem is, is if you're the king and you're responsible for how to use all the land, if you have a piece of property that has been used to sacrifice children, what's the matter with that property? It's now useless. I mean, can you imagine, if you're here and you're in real estate, can you imagine trying to sell a house on a piece of property that was used to sacrifice children for three generations? It just wouldn't work. Can you imagine? Hey, we're developing this new piece of land. It's called Poltergeist Acres. <laughs> it's too spooky. It has this children of the corn feel to it, doesn't it? So, so they couldn't do anything with it. 
So, so what Josiah decided to do is he said, well, since we can't do anything else with it, what we'll do is we'll make it the town garbage dump. We'll make it the town garbage dump. Now, here's the thing. Garbage stinks. So what they had to do in Gehenna was they had to keep the fire going all the time so that the smell of the garbage wouldn't reach the city. It wouldn't reach Jerusalem. So they kept the fire going all the time to, to drown out the smell. The other thing they used it for was for a tomb for people who could not afford it. So, so they, they would use it as a tomb. So, so all the time there was funerals going on. And you'd see people throwing people up into fire. Um, so there was funerals and tears and things like this. The other thing was, is all the stray animals, where do stray animals come to get food? Garbage dumps. So all the stray animals would come in and they'd scavenge for food. And so all night long, you would hear them barking and biting one another, trying to, to stave off each other so they could eat. So in Jerusalem, Gehenna was called the place where the fire doesn't die and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? So when Jesus says, these things endanger your life of Gehenna, what's he saying? Is he talking about, if you do these things, you might go to hell one day? No. To Jesus, hell 15 of 18 instances of hell, I think that's like 86%. 86% of the time Jesus said the word hell, it wasn't talking about hell one day, it was talking about hell now. And every time he uses the word Gehenna, he's talking to Christians. So, so, see, so to Christians, what do we talk like hell? How do we talk about hell? Hell is for who? Them, when, then, Right? So hell is about other people in the future, right? But to Jesus, hell was about me now. It was mostly about me now. He says, hey, here's some things that send your life to hell. Jesus said the word hell, Gehenna, 15 times, hell on earth, 15 times. And he said six different things will send your life there. Six different things will send your life there. One, holding anger in your heart. Two, calling someone an idiot. Three, fearing God, I mean, fearing man instead of fearing God. Four, unforgiveness. Five, pride. Six, greed. He said these six things, that's the only times he ever used the word hell, was about people who struggle with holding anger in their heart. That has nothing to do with us, does it? People who at times think they're better than other people and call them a fool. We would never do that. People who actually think they're more important than they are. Really. People who hold unforgiveness in their heart. People who are greedy and overlook the poor. This were the things. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying if you live like that, you're endangering your life of the garbage dump. You don't want your life on the garbage dump. You want to live a fuller life. Now, the other, the other hell was Hades. Hades was the hell you really wanted to avoid. That's the one we think of. It's the one beyond the grave. He only uses that word once. He uses it three times, twice as a figure of speech. For instance, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Okay? The only time he uses it in terms of someone going there is who? Exactly. There's a rich man, and he overlooked a poor man. That's the guy that goes to hell. Amazing. Out of all the sinners Jesus dealt with, 
lady caught in the act of adultery. He's like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. How nice was God to that lady? What does he say to her? I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Don't we say it backwards? We say it, go and sin no more so God won't condemn you. Well, no, that's backwards. Jesus is saying, since I don't condemn you, now go and sin no more. See, we read those lists that Paul makes. See to it that none of you do this, 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 and this. For this is not behavior becoming of saints. Paul says, because you're saints, don't do this. We say, don't do this so you'll be saints. We even talk about repentance that way. We say, I'm not saying you do, I'm talking about in general. We say, repent so God will be kind. If you repent, God will be nice to you. I would suggest to you that God's nice just because he's nice. I I would suggest to you that your actions don't do anything to affect God. It's actually your revelation of who God is the whole time that changes everything. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. God's nice to everybody. Jesus was nice to everybody. Except for, he said, there's this rich guy, and he overlooks a poor guy. That's the guy that goes to hell. It's amazing that even in hell, you think about that story. Even in hell, the guy's in flames. It's a weird story. He says he's in flames, and he looks up, and he sees Abraham and the beggar. You mean out of all of heaven, those were the two people happen to be standing there? So he says, he looks up, and he sees Abraham and the beggar. And he says, Abraham, I, I realize that's the beggar. Hey, do me a favor. Send him here to give me some water. This guy's in hell, and he still thinks he's better than the beggar. Abraham goes, what? No, that's not how this works. I'm not sending him to hell for you. What are you talking about? He goes, okay, then, then send him back to earth to serve my family. Abraham says, that's not how this works. This doesn't work that way. And the rich man says, no, Abraham, let me tell you how it works. And that's when Abraham goes, someone who's this far gone. In other words, if you're on fire and you still think you're better than other people, there's no hope for you even if someone rose from the dead. No, 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 it's it's not that. So so my question is this, before you dismiss yourself from that conversation, um, you realize we are the rich man. If if, if you drove here tonight in a car and and, and it has like a motor, okay, I don't care if it's a 30-year-old Hyundai. Listen, if you drove here tonight in a car, um, you're in the richest 8% of the whole world. If you left your other car at home, like you and your wife, they, you each have a car, um, you're in the richest 1% of the whole world. If, if your car is sitting at a home that has a concrete foundation and wood is its basic building material, you're in the richest one-tenth of 1% of the whole world. We are the rich man. The question is, what are we going to do about it? See, the kingdom of God, we lose its meaning when we make it about going to heaven one day. It's not about going to heaven one day. It's about conquering hell's hold on the places in this earth. It's about looking around and seeing the places devoid of what God would want it to be like and then doing something about it. That's what it's about. It's about establishing a kingdom on earth, a radical new culture that will show the whole world what God would look like. God would look like if he was here living this thing out. That's what the kingdom of God's about. And there's all kinds of euphemisms and idioms that we're going to spend some time going through um, that, that help us understand this. The first one, there's no order of importance. 
first euphemism, Hebrew euphemisms. First one, binding and loosing. Binding and loosing. Now listen, I am all for deliverance. And I am all about getting people free from the spiritual things that are running their life. And listen, if you're here and you can get devils off people, which I know you can. And I know that your pastor is great at it. If you can do that, I say great, okay? I'm not the best at it, right? Actually, all that growling scares me, okay? But, but I, I'm not, I'm, <laughs> they start growling and growling and, yeah, I know, no, it's not, they, they, you know. I, the first time I ever tried to get a demon out of somebody, I didn't know what I was doing, I was 19. I still wouldn't know what I was doing, but I, I didn't, I really didn't know what I was doing then. So I didn't know, but I was the only pastor in the room. And this woman started growling and going on. And, um, and I saw her throw a 240-pound man up against the wall. And I thought, wow, we've got to do something here. And, um, <laughs> and I didn't know what to do. So these men tackle her and hold her down. And they look up and they say, Shane, do something. So I got up over, and this is all I did. I went, I said, you loose her in the name of Jesus. This is what she did. She went, No. Okie dokie. I don't know. I don't know. know. That's my ace of spades. I don't have anything more than that. I don't know. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Huh? Yeah. So I I was, so I I sort of got scared and sort of nothing. I got scared. And and then something came, something came, something came over me that, that was bold. And so I sort of grabbed her. And I just said, I said, you will lose her. Because then it hit me, demons can lie. Like, it's okay. Like, demons just lie. So she could say no. It's like a three-year-old. Go to your room. No, no, you you are. Yes. And so we were able to help her. We got her completely free. About seven or eight of them came out of her that night. Got her completely free. So, but, so whatever, if, if you're, if you're delivering somebody, whatever you need to say to get them out, say it. If it helps you to say Mary had a little lamb to them and they come out, fine. It's fine. Seriously, like do whatever you got to do. But the phrase, the phrase binding and loosing at its core is simply this. It is a specific rabbinical phrase that talks about what a rabbi would allow or what a rabbi would loose would forbid or allow in his way of life, okay? So, so it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily, it has applications to deliverance, but it's not limited to deliverance. You with me? A, a, a demon is, is, a, is a repetitive thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. A, a demon is a spiritual force that, that rules your behavior when you keep giving into it. So when you're talking about deliverance, when you talk about deliverance, what you're typically talking about is getting someone to resist that way of living, come against it, renounce it, and then the devil flees, right? You turn on it, right? So, so, so it, has, it has applications, but it has further reaching applications. It has to do with what we allow and what we forbid in our yoke. What we allow and what we forbid. A rabbi's way of living was called his yoke, okay? That was his way of living, his way of interpreting scripture. And this included the things that he binded and the things that he loosed. Binding and loosing. Now, I've got to be very frank with you. I'm assuming I'm talking to mature believers, okay? So if you're not a mature believer, just shut me off for a second. 
but I'm assuming I'm talking to mature believers. This is so important. This is a very important facet of establishing the kingdom of God in your life. This is a very important facet of, of, of creating a new culture that's going to show the whole world what God would look like. This is an important facet of Bay City Outreach Center. This is an important facet of what this church will look like in this community exhibiting the kingdom of God. It has to do with binding and loosing. Let me tell you what I mean by that. People who look up to you take their cues on how to behave from what you bind and what you loose. Okay, binding and loosing was a very common thing. Let me give you an example. The Torah says, don't work on the Sabbath. Do not work on the Sabbath. Well, that has some questions left, doesn't it? What's the, if I say to you, don't work on the Sabbath, it's a commandment of God. What's your first question? Somebody said it. What's work? Can we define what work is and what work isn't? So it was the rabbi's responsibility to bind certain things as work and to loose certain things as not work. So there were certain things you were allowed to do on the Sabbath. There were certain things you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath based on your particular rabbi's interpretation of what it means to work. It's binding and loosing. This is such an important thing. Let me give you an example of, the, of how powerful binding and loosing is in a negative way. My grandmother. My grandmother has went on to be with the Lord now. She's, she was 90 when she died. She has never cut her hair in her life. Never worn makeup in her life. Never worn jewelry in her life. Never wore slacks in her life. Never went to a movie in her life. If she knew that I was at the movie, she would pray the whole time I was in there that Jesus wouldn't come back while I was there lest Jesus would not come in to get me out of the movie. She got saved five times a day. Every three or four hours, she would take a second and confess all the sins of the last three or four hours so that God would not leave her. This was binding and loosing. They believe. Why did she do that? Was, is it a sin to cut your hair? Not to you, but to her would it be? Yes, because it would have went against her conscience. Like to cut your hair, her pastor told her, if you cut your hair, you'll go to hell. Right? If you color your hair, you go to a different level of hell. All right? So like, eh, hell, hell. Oh, my Lord. That's a different level of, of there's, there's a level of hell that you just can't imagine. And she's bordering on it. If you were at the grocery store and you even looked at a glass of wine. Done. Hell. Why? Because her pastor said, if you do these things, I bind you from doing these things. I forbid it. it the Bible, and not on, nobody says I forbid it. They say scripture does. And they, and they come up with proof texting. They, they come up with their conclusion, and then they find scriptures to prove the point they want to make. Yeah, right? Right? And so, but, but how powerful was this on my grandmother's life? This is how powerful it was. On her deathbed, she was worried that if they drew her into surgery, that they would cut her hair. That's binding. That bound on her conscience. I was messing with her once. I said, Granny, it was, I, I, t I took her on a date all the time. She was a widow. So when I was home, I, once a week or so, I'd go out and take her out on a date. You know, 
It was, it was pretty cool. And so I, I'd take her to a nice restaurant, and I'd tell everybody she was my date. And, of course, everybody got the joke, and they'd play it up with her. And they'd say, oh, you, you must be a billionaire. You got you a good-looking man. And she'd go, I know, I know. And, you know, so here's this old woman, you know, walking in there, you know. And, uh, it, it, just going, you know. And um, this is how binding it was to her. One time, it was negative six degrees, negative six this is the first, I almost had, I almost fainted. I, I, I picked her up, I, I knocked on the door, she opened the door, and she was wearing her normal dress that, you know, like she always did. But underneath the dress was a pair of, of track pants. Underneath her dress, I'd never seen my granny's legs covered in a pair of pants like that. And, I, and she went, Shane, can I ask you a question? I said, yes. She said, you're a pastor, right? I said, yes. She said, it is freezing, it was negative six Celsius. I said, I said, yes. She said, do you think God would mind if I just put the pants on underneath my dress because I'm just that cold? I said, I promise you, Granny, he's not going to mind. Right? See, this was the guy that I was messing with once. I said, Granny, we need to get you all made up. Need to, you know, need to make up jewelry, the whole kit and caboodle. She said, oh, no, I'd hate to send myself to hell. Maybe someone else too. I said, how would you send someone else to hell? She said, I'd hate to give a man a lustful thought. <laughs> I said, you're 85 years old. <laughs> Lustful thought. You, like, look, I accidentally saw her naked once. I mean, forgive me, Granny. But I, I, I accidentally saw her naked once. And y'all, it changed my life. Like, like seriously. Like, like I don't know. I mean, like, 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 nothing was in the right place. It, she looked like a hound dog in a shower cap. Like, it was unbelievable. She could have wore a bikini to a sex addicts conference and cured them all. Like, what in the world? Lustful thought. Forgive me, Granny. That's the power of binding and loosing. You got an 85-year-old woman worried about giving a man a lustful thought. That's heavy. This same group of people, I grew up in the South in America. These same people who thought they would go to hell for touching wine. They thought they would go to hell for having their hair cut. They thought they would go to hell for wearing slacks. Those same people could hate black people with no conscience at all. How does that work? How's that possible? To, to, be, to be forbidden from makeup, but loosed to hate people who look different from you? What? That's the power of binding and loosing. It's important. Listen, if we're going to establish the kingdom of God here in Bay City, and come on, would you agree with me? That's what needs to be happening on a continual basis. Not, Bay City does not need to be known as a group of people going to heaven one day. That will take care of itself. Bay City needs to be known in Hastings as the place in this community that is bringing heaven to every place hell is. And if we're going to do that, it's going to partly come down to binding and loosing, binding and loosing. Let me, let's do a couple more. Whitewashed, no, no, let's do this one. Rending the garments. Rending the garments. There's a lot of images around the cross and things like that that, that are very meaningful. One euphemism or idiom is rending the garments. Let me tell you what it had to do with. 
Jesus said it this way, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 61 and 66, that those who mourn in Jerusalem will be comforted. Now, the concept of mourning in Hebrew culture was very important. The concept was this, to establish the kingdom of God on earth, one of the things that has to happen is you need to be willing to identify with the suffering of others, okay? So here's what would happen. Let's say that, um, that Dave is a friend of mine, and let's say that someone close to him dies. It is my responsibility as his friend to set up sitting Shiva, sitting Shiva, it's just the word sitting, and then this. Sitting Shiva. It means to sit for seven days. So I would, I would organize seven days of mourning for him. And what, it, what I would do is we would take shifts and we would sit with him for seven days. It was called sitting Shiva. And the, here was the rule. In sitting Shiva, I was not allowed to speak to him unless he spoke to me, which is so awesome. It takes all the pressure off of me for having to comfort him in a, very, in a situation that you can't comfort him in. It also takes all the pressure off of him for having to entertain me when he needs to be mourning. What I was doing was simply setting it up where we could just simply be together so he didn't have to be alone. They even took the identification with suffering one step further. Have you ever seen someone grieving? How ugly is it? It's ugly. What does a person who's grieving the loss of a loved one, what do they look like? What do their eyes look like? Puffy, red, How about the muscles in their face? Do you realize that when someone needs to cry and they're trying not to, there is a crux point where you lose control of the muscles in your mouth? So they look sort of distorted and and their eyes are puffy. It's It's not a pretty look at all. And so here's what I don't want. He's my friend and I know he needs to mourn, right? But I don't want him to be the center of attention. I want him to be not alone and I want him to be free to mourn. I want to identify with his suffering. So here's what I would do. First thing is I would put on sackcloth. I would put on sackcloth. And in putting on sackcloth, it would be, it's taking off my nice clothes, putting on um, nasty ones. I would, put on, I would put on sackcloth so as to draw attention to myself and away from him so that he's free to mourn, yet I'm still there with him. It was my way of saying, I identify with your suffering. The next thing I would do is I'd put on ashes. I would take ashes and I'd put it on my face. Why? So that his face isn't the ugliest face in the room. So, so, so that, that, that when people walk in, they won't notice his distorted face. They'll actually notice the fact that there's a guy sitting there with ashes. And that sets the attention off of him enough so where he can feel free to mourn. How loving was that? I mean, how awesome is that? The last thing I would do at the end of the sitting Shiva, the last thing I would do is I would rip my clothes I would rip my clothes. I would rip my garments. In, in, in other words, it was the ultimate identification with suffering. It would be to expose myself. I, I, would, I would just rip my garments. I want you to think about this. When Jesus died, when Jesus died, God would have mourned the death of his son. Which means he would have ripped his garments. In the heavens, what is God clothed with? Light. So when God mourns the death of Jesus, what happens? The whole world became dark. 
that the darkness that came over the earth was simply a result of God keeping his own commands and mourning the death of his son by ripping his clothes. On earth, what was God's clothes? The temple veil. It's what held God back from being exposed to the world. So when Jesus died, what did he do? He mourned the death of his son by ripping his clothes. And the temple veil tore from bottom to top, and it exposed the glory of God to the whole world. So that now we, we are free to experience the glory of God as a result of God mourning the loss of his son. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. That when God mourned, it actually brought comfort to the whole world. See, we talk about the cross as if it was free. We we use language like uh, the, 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 the cross, the glory of God is a free gift. Okay, is that true? In part. Free to who? You, me. It's free to us. But it cost God everything. And if we ever lose sight of what it costs God, we'll take the glory of God for free and make it cheap. There's a difference between free and cheap. It is free, but it is also priceless because it costs God everything. See? Now, what's the drosh here? What's the drosh? What's the life application? My question to you is this. Are you, if we're to be the hands and feet of Jesus, if we are to be what God would look like to the whole world, where are you willing to identify with the suffering of others? Is there any place this week that you saw the legitimate suffering of other people and you were able to turn your back on it without another thought? That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is when you see suffering. I'm not talking about laziness. I'm talking about suffering. When you see suffering, that you do something about it. The, the birth of the church, see, I'll, I'll talk about this later in detail, but the, the, the birth of the church, people, when they look at disasters, what do they always ask? The Haitian crisis, the, the tsunami, what, what do they ask? Where's God? Where's God? Well, where's God's the wrong question. The, the question is, where are you? You're the body of Christ. You're the kingdom of God. You are the picture of God to the whole world. It, it, when people say, where's God? It's like God's going, well, no, 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 well, not where, where, where are you? Where are you? It's not like God has given any doubt as to what he's called us to do. He has called us to take care of the poor and the afflicted and the down and outer and the marginalized and the people going through disasters. He's called us to do something about it. He didn't call us to go to heaven one day. He didn't call us to be right. He did not, God did not call you to be right. He called you to be kind. He called you to look around and say, hold on. There's a, there is an issue here of hell on earth. And the kingdom of God is the answer to that. What am I going to do about it? Where am I going to identify with the suffering of others? One more and then we'll close for tonight. One more euphemism. The cutting off of the ear. The cutting off of the ear. There's a story. You guys would know it well. It says they come to arrest Jesus. And it says that, in, it's interesting, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says, a certain companion of Jesus cut off the high priest's servant's ear. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it says, there's a certain companion of Jesus, and he, and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear. 
In John, it says, and Peter cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Yeah. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're like, we're going to protect Peter here. We're going to leave some area of doubt. John's like, nope, we're throwing Peter under the bus. I can't have the whole world thinking it's me. Right? (laughs) John just throwing Peter right under the bus. So it says he cut off his ear. And what does Jesus do with that ear? He puts it back on. What's going on here that is of deeper significance? There's a plain meaning there. Peter gets mad, cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus heals the ear. But there's a bunch of remezes here. There's a bunch of hints and allusions. To understand the New Testament, you have to have a working understanding, especially of Leviticus. It molded their culture, okay? And you can understand this scripture by looking at Leviticus. If you have your Bible, turn to Leviticus 21. If you don't, just listen. Leviticus 21, this is going to open this scripture up to you big time. I've got five minutes, and this is hugely applicable to establishing the kingdom in our life, okay? Listen, listen to this. Leviticus 21, verse 18. Here we go. For no man in whom there is a blemish shall draw near, a blind man or a lame man or disfigured man or deformed. Or a man that is broken-footed or broken-handed, or a crook-backed man or a crushed one, or one who has a blemish in his eye, or a scurvy or a scabbed person, nor anyone with crushed testicles. That was a problem back then, okay? That was a problem. And the reason is because when another king took over another area, they didn't want them reproducing past them. So they would take the young men and they would put them through a procedure where they would take two rocks and crush them together, okay? That would keep them from reproducing. So if that happened to you, um, you were disqualified from, from doing what God's talking about here. No man of the seed of Aaron, the priest, in whom there was a blemish, shall come near. Now, it doesn't mean they can't come near to anything. What does it say? Oh, good. Here we go. That they shall come near in order to offer the fire offerings of God, for he has a blemish. He shall not come near to offer the bread of his God, but he shall be able to eat the bread of his God, the most holy of the holy. Only he shall not go into the veil, nor shall he come to the altar, because he has a blemish. Now, here is the problem. In that culture, you were a rabbi because you earned it. You were a priest by birthright. So priests and kings were born into their position. Rabbis had to earn it. Now, anytime you have a system where you're born into something... You have the potential for bad eggs. Look at their kings. Their kings were godly, 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 ungodly, ungodly, godly, ungodly, godly, sort of medium godly, ungodly, godly, godly, ungodly. They go through these patterns. Why? Because you were born into it. There wasn't any proving ground or development. Okay? You were just simply born into it. So how do you handle it when a priest is a bad egg? Well, God says, listen, if, if they have any physical blemish... You can't starve them. You have to let them live among you and they can eat the bread, even the holy bread. They can do that. But, but they can't offer offerings and they can't go into the veil if they have a blemish. So what they would do to keep the bad eggs off of the ceremonial parts is they would sneak up behind them and they'd clop off the bottom of their ear. They'd take off their earlobe. Okay? The book of Josephus, which is a Jewish historian, he talks about this practice of lopping off the earlobe. Okay? And the reason was, is once someone had a physical blemish, it kept them from offering offerings. 
and from going into the veil. So, the servant of the high priest, if you're the servant of the high priest, what are you studying to be? The high priest. The servant of the high priest is actually leading the charge against Jesus. Peter takes his knife out and cuts off his ear. What's he doing? He's saying this, if you are going to kill the real temple, then you have no business serving in the temple made with the hands of men. So if you're willing to kill, the, if you're so blind and so stubborn that you're going to kill the real temple, I'm going to make sure that you never serve in the temple made with the hands of men again. And he cuts off his ear. In other words, you'll never be able to serve there again. Never, ever, 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 never. What's Jesus' response? He puts his ear back on. So in the Peshat, what's he doing? He's restoring physical appearance. He's restoring hearing. He's taking away pain. But there's something way bigger here. What's he doing to the high priest servant? He's restoring him back to his office. He's saying, no, no, no. I'll restore you back to ministry. Let me, let me give you a revelation of the kindness of God here. Jesus is restoring to his ministry the man who is leading the charge to kill him. That's how nice God is. Let me ask you a question. You want to establish the kingdom of God in your life? One of the questions we have to deal with is this. Why is it that our tendency is to cut people's ears off? Why is our first response when you see this much weakness in a minister? Why is it? Why is our first response to find any reason to cut their ear off? Why is that? What is it about us that finds that fun? Why is our first response to cut people's ears off when the one we're supposed to be duplicating is actually the one putting people's ears back on? Let me, let me say it this way. Why? Well, let me say it this way. Is there any place in your life where you want mercy for yourself but justice for everybody else? Is there any place in your life where you're at the foot of the cross saying, Lord, I've messed up. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. But you look around the cross and you see other people who are asking for mercy and you go, nope, God, get them. Or if you don't get them, I'll cut their ear off to make sure they don't serve you anymore. That's horrible. If we're going to establish the kingdom of God, one of the first places we need to start is with our own. And we need to make a habit of being people who put people's ears back on when possible. That, 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 that we need to make a habit of putting people's ears back on instead of making it our first response to take people's ears off. Notice Jesus' response. What does Jesus say to Peter? Peter, put your knife away, for if you live by the sword, you will one day die by the sword. In other words, if you make a habit of disqualifying people, one day someone's going to disqualify you. What was fixing to happen in a couple hours? What was Peter going to do? Deny Jesus three times. Maybe Jesus was setting the precedent to save Peter's ministry as well. Because if Peter carries out the judgment, then he has to be judged by the same standard with which he judges. Jesus is like, don't you understand? If you make a habit of cutting people's ears off, one day someone's going to cut yours off and no one's going to be around to help. But when you have a reputation for mercy, then blessed are the merciful. 
for they will obtain mercy. If we're going to establish the kingdom of God in this place and in our life, we have to be people who look for opportunities to put people's ears on and not take them off. That will start our journey. Let's pray together. Lord, you're awesome. We love you and we're humbled by you. We proclaim you are king. Lord Jesus, would you, right now in this moment, just in this moment, would you um, take a second and I want you to become aware of everything you've been forgiven of. Ask yourself this question, where would my life be today had God not touched it? Ask yourself this question, how many times has Jesus put my ears back on? Now I want you to ask yourself this, is there anywhere in my life, is there any person in my life that I can help put their ear on? Any word of encouragement, a letter, a reinstatement, something? I want you to ask yourself, is there any place in my life where I'm forbidding things that are hurting people and I'm loosing things that are hurting people? Is there any place in my life that I need to identify with the suffering of others? Is there some kids I need to feed? Some orphans I need to clothe? Is there injustice that I need to bring justice to? I don't, Lord, want to be a person who's just on their way to heaven. I thank you for heaven. But I don't want to be a person just on my way there. Lord, would you use me as a vessel to bring heaven to every place there's hell. If you'd like to join in on that prayer with me, would you just put your hands out in front of you and say, Lord, use me as a kingdom person. Lord, establish your name over my life. The Bible teaches that the name of God can actually dwell over people or over a place. So let's begin to pray. Would you, would you, let's do this actually. Let's get our head off ourselves. Would you begin to pray for the person on your left? Just say a prayer for the person, on whoever's sitting on your left. Lord, let the name of God dwell over them. Let the name of God dwell over them. The compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God. Let the name of God, the environment of that name, let it dwell over them. Let it dwell over them. Let the kingdom be established right there in that person. May this person not be a person on their way to heaven, but rather be a person bringing heaven to everywhere there's hell. Now would you begin to pray for the person on your right. Begin to bless them as a dwelling place for the name. Let your name dwell. The book of Deuteronomy says the, dwell, the name can dwell a certain place. Let the dwelling place for your name rest on this person. May they be compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love people. May the kingdom be established. May it be established right here. Now let's pray for this church. Lord, we pray for our church. Lord, let the kingdom be established here. Let this place be a dwelling place for your name. The compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love God. May this church not be a people who are going to heaven one day, but also be a people who bring heaven to hell right here on earth. Lord, may we be an establisher of your ways over the top of something that is hell on earth. Lord, we give ourselves to you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks so much for for being a part of, of what we're doing. I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow night. I hope you guys were blessed by that. Thanks for letting me be your guest. God bless you real good.
Ooh. That was fantastic, wasn't it? Tomorrow night we'll start taking up offerings for Shane to bless him, son, his ministry. But uh, have you enjoyed it tonight? It's been really good, hasn't it? Real words. Man, I love it. Man, just opening up about lopping off ears. That's brilliant stuff. So thank you. Let's get away quickly so we can get back tomorrow night. God bless you. Thank you, sound man, lights, and uh, cameraman. Appreciate your work. Thank you.